Welcome to The Baby Tribe, a podcast dedicated to providing parents and caregivers with the latest information and expert advice on baby health and nutrition. From prenatal care to nutrition and health, we'll cover all the important topics to ensure your little one gets off to the best start in life. I'm Katie Mugan from NursingMama.ie, a paediatric and public health nurse and a lactation consultant with over 20 years experience. And I'm Afif Al-Kafash, a neonatologist and paediatrician and a lactation consultant working at the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin, Ireland, with over 20 years experience in newborn care. And together, we are your hosts. We will share our knowledge and insights on everything from breastfeeding and formula feeding to weaning and dealing with common health concerns. We will have regular guests on this podcast to share their expertise and we will also hear from parents sharing their problems and challenges to try and offer help. Whether you're expecting your first child or have a little one already, this weekly podcast is for you. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. Thank you for joining us and let's get started on this exciting journey together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We are really excited to get started. My co-host Katie here is dying to go for the first main topic. So we are going to chat a little bit about baby prep, about before baby arrives into the house and what can we do to make things a little bit easier for when they do. Uh, Do you remember back on your very first baby, Afif, yet or is it a fog? Well, it's a bit of a fog. My daughter now is 14. I was very unprepared and I wish that there was a podcast to actually tell me what to do. And here we are to kick it off. Here we are. Absolutely. My memory, um, and I was only thinking about this back with Jim, was when I was packing my hospital bag and lifting up those little vests and baby grows and thinking, oh my God, soon I'm going to have a little baby inside of them and I'm going to have them at home with me. And I remember feeling just over overjoyed at the thought of meeting this little person. So I remember all I was thinking about was the baby coming and dealing with the baby. Sort of antenatal prep was not on my radar at all. And I think it's a very important part of preparing for a baby coming home. We're going to kick off and talk a little bit about education. I think, Afif, you uh, said it straight there. There was very little about antenatal preparation when you had your very first baby 14 years ago. And now everyone's talking about it and attending. And I think it's really important for parents to be educated on the topics. And when we talk about uh, birth and labour, many parents will attend one, two, three classes, but often they forget about the other side when baby arrives and about feeding. So attending a breastfeeding preparation class antenatally gives parents so much information and I suppose a realistic expectation of what's to come. A lot of things that you may hear in an antenatal class, especially if it is your first baby, might be abstract. But what they can really prepare you for is learning what to expect. And we're going to spend a whole episode. um, The next episode actually is going to be talking about what to expect in terms of baby behaviours, how much they need to feed, attending an antenatal class and learning about how babies behave over the first few days of life, I think is crucial. Absolutely. And you know what I'm finding? More and more partners are attending now that a lot of the breastfeeding preparation classes are online. I also have pre-recorded and you'll find that now parents are able to dip in and dip out and both parents can access that information because having a partner that's aware of what to come um, and how best to support their partner in the early days of breastfeeding is crucial. Um, I think many, I mean, in my classes, I speak a lot about harvesting colostrum. What do you think of that? Are you seeing more and more clients now harvesting their colostrum in advance of baby being born? 
Yeah, I think it's a good idea. And I think it's especially a good idea when a mom intends to breastfeed and the mom may have some risk factors that may hinder or impede her ability to breastfeed in the early newborn period. Things like having gestational diabetes, for example, mums with a higher BMI, or if there's a planned elective cesarean section as well. We know that those factors may delay the milk coming in, especially in the case of mums with gestational diabetes, their babies may have an issue with low blood sugars immediately after birth. So having a bank of colostrum that you've harvested antenatally to try and give the baby over the first 24, 48 hours may give you a bit of comfort knowing that you have some additional milk volume there to supplement your baby if you encounter any issues establishing breastfeeding. I know myself, I harvested colostrum on my fourth baby and it gave me just great uh, comfort knowing that if my baby did have uh, drops in their blood sugars because I did have a history of gestational diabetes on my fourth, then I would have some extra supplement there to give to the baby to prevent this or reduce the risk of it um, if my milk was a little bit delayed coming in. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to actually harvest your colostrum. But first off, just to say that you do need to clarify with your healthcare provider that you're okay to go ahead and harvest your colostrum because there is a risk of preterm labour in some women. And this is generally, we do see it if the mom is kind of ready to go into labour, as they say, it can uh, bring on contractions. If this does happen, we just recommend that you stop and let your healthcare provider know. Yeah, I agree. That's a very good point, Katie, because when you start antenatal expression, you may raise a hormone called oxytocin, which is involved in starting labour. Yes, but it is fantastic if you can do it. So I'm going to give you a basic demonstration how to do it. So imagine this, imagine sitting back in your chair and placing your thumb at the top of your areola. Now the areola is the darkened kind of circular area around the nipple. So your thumb placed at the top and your two fingers at the bottom of it. And basically all you're doing is compressing back to the chest wall and squeezing together. Release, then going back to the chest wall, squeezing together and release. And you can do this generally, we would say maybe two and a half to three minutes on one side, then moving over to the opposite breast and doing the same, reverting back to the first breast and doing for another three minutes. So about five minutes in total of each breast. And you can do this up to four times a day once you are 37 and a half weeks completed in your pregnancy and you have been okayed by your healthcare provider to do it. I have to say some women will just start it and they go, it's not for me. And that's perfectly fine. You just stop it let it go and you can uh, just take off your breastfeeding journey from when your baby is born. Thanks, Katie. That, that's a very good description of how to actually do it. But do mums need any equipment to go with that? So if you often speak with your maternity hospitals, uh, you can access uh, syringes and uh, small little vials in order to do so. Um, what I will say is you can access these online as well, but your maternity units will generally provide. You don't need any uh, mechanical pumps and we try to avoid these before baby is born. But also people ask me all the time, Afif, do we need a pump? Should we buy one in advance? And I would always say no, hold off, because we don't know the reason or why the purpose of having the pump is for on the other side. If you're in the hospital, there are hospital grade pumps available to you. I think you'll agree, Afif, there is one on every ward. Yes, and they can be provided. And you never know, your milk supply may be very good after you deliver your baby and you may not actually need any pumps to supplement. 
Exactly, Afif. Many people will think they have to have a pump, but it really um, is not a necessity. Also, I get asked all the time about bottles. Do we need bottles um, just in case? And I say absolutely not. If it comes to it and you decide to change your pathway with regards to feeding, then you can always access bottles and formula at a different stage. Great. Fantastic. And I know the next item that you're about to discuss is one of your favourite packing for the hospital. Absolutely. I love packing the hospital bag. And I know not only myself, but many women out there must look at two, three, four blogs from top celebrities about what they put in that hospital bag. So I'm just going to do brief description of what to put in. Do they need a Louis Vuitton bag? <laughs> no, but there are many. Uh, you can actually, did you know, if you buy pre-made hospital bags ready to go. Oh, wow. Amazing. I know, but you don't need it. It isn't a necessity. I'm going to talk about little things that can make your journey a little bit easier when you are in the hospital. Um, So I would say first have two hospital bags, one very small for the labour ward itself. And basically in that for the baby, you're going to have a baby grow vest, hat, nappy to dress the baby in after baby is born. For yourself, I think one to two nighties just in case and comfortable underwear. Now, Afif, don't think sexy. Think comfy, think Bridget Jones style, large, dark and ones that will go up and over the abdomen and uh, that will hold a maternity pad in place. Next up, what are you going to put into your actual post natal ward bag? Basically, pretty much the same. You're going to put in two or three nighties, one for every day that you're going to be in. It might be pyjamas, whatever you use, just make sure you've buttons on them. So easy to keep baby nice and snug and do some skin to skin when you're back in the ward. Again, underwear. Some people will go down the route of disposable underwear, ladies. For me, I would definitely say wasn't uh, comfortable. I went out and got cheap knickers that I actually um, disposed of on uh, discharge from the hospital. I'd always go black in colour. Again, when we're looking at towels, don't forget. I remember my sister saying to me she forgot to put the towel in and there was no uh, midwife around uh, when she was going for the shower. And what happened? She went in and basically used her old nighty. So don't end up stranded, ladies. Make sure you put in one to two towels uh, for when you're in there. Again, think comfortable, nice, comfy socks and slippers or flip flops, I would say, are a must when you're in the showers. Uh, I will say, if you tell me why all the plug sockets on the walls in maternity hospitals are up so high. I remember my fourth in with Jack. I plugged in the charger for the uh, for my phone and it's dangling. Um, I think it might be a health and safety issue. That's going to be my standard answer for anything. I do not know. The <laughs> I love it. Well, I have to say, ladies, if you're going in and you're listening to this, I would always recommend an extra long length uh, charger because I had mine dangling on the phone or off the windowsill. If you're in the middle of a three bedded, you're in trouble. So just think long cable. Think of necessities. Now, when it comes to snacks, Afif, after you have your baby, we all know breastfeeding, if you are breastfeeding, and even if you're not, you can get the munchies late at night. I think the last meal is about half four or five in the maternity uh, hospitals. Yeah, some hospitals, where most hospitals might actually have vending machines, but it's good to bring snacks that you know like you overnight, like. Like overnight, you will be hungry. If you are breastfeeding, particularly those second, third and fourth night, if you're in hospital, um, it can be really challenging and we just need a little uh, nutrition to keep us going. So just to be aware. So Katie, this is a very loaded question. What about baby grows? Now, I will say, baby grows, think practical, Drink easy. In the middle of the night when you're changing your baby numerous times, because I'm guaranteed they're either going to wee or they'll have poops up the back. It is essential that we make it easy and simple for yourself. So instead of buttons, maybe think zips. Yes. And um, think of the poor paediatrician that has to discharge about 30 babies 
in a day. If you have complicated baby grows that need a PhD degree to <laughs> untangle, you know, it will kind of double the time a pediatrician takes to discharge these babies. So things that are easy to pop off and for the parents, easy to pop on again. So keep it easy and uh, prevent the challenges for poor Afif when he's discharging the babies. I will say, just think of the vests as well. Sometimes you can get the open down ones, which can be very handy. And just a little tip for any parents out there. When you look at some of the baby uh, vests, you will see that they overlap on the shoulders. And this is very, very handy should your baby have what we call a punami. You may not know about it now, but I guarantee you very soon you will. So instead of pulling the vest up over the baby's head to remove it, you can actually just spread over the the shoulders and pull down so you prevent spreading that punami everywhere. That's very sensible advice. What about car seats? Yes. Now, what I will say is make sure that you have practiced this numerous times because there is nothing funnier. I'd love to have a video cam uh, looking at the car parking lot outside a maternity hospital where you see all the partners trying to get the car seats back out of the car going in to collect their uh, lovely newborns. So preparation is key. Just remember, practice makes perfect. And also practice attaching and detaching your car seat from the baby pram. Oh my God, Afif, that is so true. I remember when we had Luke and... And he is 12 now and we were, I think it was our first shopping trip where we had gone out and we managed to actually put the car seat onto the travel system, but never practiced taking it back down. And we must have spent about 10 or 15 minutes in the car park trying to get the baby out or the car seat out of the uh, travel system. So again, preparation. Because in fairness, if you think about it, if most of us will have bought our car seats well in advance and we've practiced in the shop, but then totally forget. So preparation. Absolutely. So what about when you come home? Yes. Now, this is a big one. I would always recommend uh, with regards to baby's sleep, having a crib upstairs and possibly one downstairs. Now, you don't have to be fancy. You, In many situations, you can use the pram once it's safe for sleeping downstairs and have a crib upstairs. Um, because I remember again with Luke, I was up and down that stairs nonstop or I was calling for a gym. So having a sleep um, space downstairs and one upstairs if you're in a two story can really prevent you going up and down non-stop. Also, if you look at your baby changing stations, so baby changing, I would always say kind of set yourself up one downstairs. And again, if you are upstairs or in a different location, then have one set up there. And what we're really looking at is um, many times parents will have a changing table. So these are fantastic for our backs. Um, They prevent back injuries. However, they are quite a dangerous piece of equipment. So never leave your baby unattended. Um, Babies do have natural reflexes, which can lead them to roll over. And this is when often parents believe that the baby's not going to move. They turn around just to pick up a nappy or get something off the countertop and babies can fall. So just be very, very mindful that we should never leave our babies unattended. And if we are going to get anything, always put your hand on top of the baby or take the baby with you should you be moving away from it. Amazing and very sensible advice. One final thing before we move on. Um, what about visitors? This is a big topic. I talk about it all the time in my classes. Um, I think it's really important that we talk about it as partner with your partner first and make sure that we're both on the same wavelength because many times par- one partner may be all on for everyone coming and joining to see this new little person when you arrive home. And sometimes the other partner has no inclination, generally the mother when they're a bit overwhelmed, a bit tired, depending on how they're feeding. And I suppose getting used to having a new person in your life and learning their little personalities takes time. So I would always say speak about it with your partner and then let the rest of the extended family know should you be uh, taking a little bit of time out just as you're just for yourselves to learn um, and adjust to this new uh, change in your life. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think the partner needs to be the gatekeeper, but also the partner should actually try and take over the rest of the chores and the jobs at home to allow the mother to focus on the baby and focus on herself. So rest, sleep, feed the baby and outsource all of the remaining jobs and chores to the partner. Absolutely. And then they can always outsource their chores to the rest of the extended family. So there's always things that other people can help with, meal preps, shopping, laundry. All the mom has to do is try and recover from this birth and uh, get to know the little person in front of them. Well, that's great. Very fantastic roundup of antenatal preparation. Before we move on, a word from our sponsors. When choosing your antenatal care journey, you need a team that you can trust. Here at Evie, we offer personalised, multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment, ranging from consultant care, high-end scanning and prenatal testing, to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. Our team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynaecology and paediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact us today on 01 or visit our website at ev.ie for more information. Evie, a game changer in antenatal care. And we're back. Next up is Afif's nerdy segment. So here he's going to tell us a little bit about a research article that is hugely interesting. So the reason I found this paper interesting is because it relates to babies receiving early antibiotics over the first few months of life and the association between that exposure and the increased risk of developing asthma later on in childhood. So we know that early exposure to antibiotics is associated with an increased risk of asthma later on in childhood. Now, what this paper found, if babies are receiving breast milk while also receiving antibiotics at the same time, it appears that the risk of developing asthma does not increase. Well, why does this happen? Well, it appears to do with the microbiome, prebiotics and probiotics. That's really interesting, actually, uh, Afif, because I find so many parents are asking me about prebiotics, probiotics, and I'll be honest, it's a minefield. I'm actually not that sure about it. Before I launch into what pre and probiotics are, I think it's important to describe what a microbiome is. The microbiome refers to the collection of microorganisms like bacteria, viruses, fungi and other tiny bugs that live in our gut. So we are concerned with the gut microbiome. So when we refer to the gut microbiome, we're talking about the healthy bacteria that reside and live in our gut. What do those bacteria do? Well, they actually help with our digestion. They help with our metabolism and more importantly, and what is relevant to this paper, they actually help regulate our immune system because we know that asthma is an allergic disease, meaning that we overreact to certain allergens that we inhale into our lungs. So how do antibiotics increase the risk of asthma? Well, we think that they increase the risk of asthma by disturbing the normal healthy bacteria that are present in the gut. So when the baby takes antibiotics for whatever reason, the antibiotics also disturb the normal flora or the normal bacteria that reside in the gut and that may alter our immune system to make us more susceptible to asthma down the line. What this paper has found is that if you are breastfeeding at the time of exposure to antibiotics, that disturbance does not happen. You maintain a normal healthy microbiome and therefore your risk of asthma does not increase. And this is where pre and probiotics come in. Prebiotics are 
non-digestible fibers. They are carbohydrates that are present in breast milk, and they act as a source of food and nutrition for the healthy bacteria that live in our gut. Breast milk is full of them. So when a baby is breastfeeding, those prebiotics go all the way down to the gut and help feed the bacteria and keep them healthy. And this is why we think breast milk helps maintain normal bugs in the gut during antibiotic exposure. So what are probiotics? Probiotics are live organisms that are similar to the beneficial bacteria that we find in the gut that you can take with foods or supplements. Breast milk also has probiotics in it. How does that help us learn about how to maybe help families that aren't breastfeeding as well? So that took me down a research rabbit hole to try and see whether taking pre or probiotics if you're formally feeding can help alleviate the risk of asthma if babies are being exposed to antibiotics. And to be honest with you, the research is unclear. What we do know that pre and probiotics are available as supplements and we know that they are safe. And there are some papers that allude to the fact that if babies take either pre or probiotics while they are being exposed to antibiotics, that they may maintain their healthy gut flora during the exposure to those antibiotics. So although the research is not clear in terms of the benefit, we know that they aren't harmful. And I suppose although a firm recommendation cannot be made for taking pre or probiotics um, while a baby is formula feeding, I don't think there is harm in taking them. And if there is potential benefit on balance, it's probably not a bad idea to take them while you're being exposed to antibiotics. We know that a lot of formulas now do contain prebiotics anyway in them. There may be scope for babies taking probiotics while they are being exposed to antibiotics. So that would be my two cents on the matter. So basically you're saying it's not going to do any harm. However, on the main, it's probably better off to give them rather than not. I think you've summarised that very well. Wow, that's really interesting, Afif. In fairness, I think prebiotics and probiotics is a minefield. And I think there's so much marketing out there uh, for parents. It is hard to digest and know what's right and what's wrong. Um, so I think that's really, really interesting. Well done. Yeah. And if you're unsure, always discuss your concerns with your healthcare provider. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. Amazing. Now it's time for our final segment of this episode. Oh, this is my favourite, Afif. I love these Q&As. And I'm just going to read it out, Katie, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to help us out. And just going forward, we're going to keep all the problems anonymous. Lovely. So, I'm convinced my little boy is constipated. He's exclusively breastfed and I read everywhere that he cannot be. He goes once a week, but is constantly uncomfortable. It is so, so tiring. My question, is it my diet that is causing it? Could he be slightly dehydrated? Okay, great question. Um, but it's very open when we look at it. So there's a few more things that we could really do with seeing what the weight gain is, because weight can indicate that the baby is obviously transferring and taking enough nutrition. I don't know about you, Afif, but there's uh, I'm finding more and more in consultation that uh, parents can be misreading uh, hunger cues for wind cues. And this might be indicating why the baby is, you feel he's uncomfortable. Actually, they're trying to tell us they're they're looking for a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, th I thought it was important to read this message out because I think going forward, it'll be good to know the age of the baby. Yes. And it would also be good to know whether you know or not, whether the baby's actually gaining weight well or not. Because my first question to this mum would be, is your baby gaining weight well? And if they are gaining weight well, then by and large, they're likely to be getting enough milk on a 24 hour basis. Breastfed babies, as you said, can have varying 
um, poo frequency. Some can poo up to 12 times a day. Some may not poo for two to three days at a time, but then have a big poonami explosion after that. So whether the baby's gaining weight well is key. So I would actually check the baby's weight with your public health nurse if you haven't had a weight check recently and make sure that they are gaining weight well. And then we could explore other potential causes of being uncomfortable, because I agree with you, Katie. The first thing here is, are these signs of discomfort actually hunger? And what you will find is that babies, you know, they can feed very frequent. They'll go through growth spurts. Um, and I think sometimes parents believe because the baby has only fed maybe half an hour ago or it's not their norm, that it's probably more that they're uncomfortable. And remember, babies can end up more windy if um, if they are upset or crying when we are trying to console them instead of offering the breast first. So I suppose first port of call, I think you'll agree for every breastfed infant is if they're unsettled, if they're agitated, if they're upset is always offer the breast first. But this is pretty open question. I think if we had a few more facts, it might be easier to give you a bit more uh, better idea if there is any issues going on. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's all from us in episode one. Next week, we'll hopefully be talking about what to expect in terms of baby behavior over the first few days following delivery. So really looking forward to that. Lots of newborn chats. See you then. See you then. That's all for this episode of The Baby Tribe. We hope you found the information and advice we shared to be helpful and informative. Remember, every baby is different and what works for one may not work for another. Trust your instincts and don't hesitate to reach out to your local healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating or review. This will help others discover the Baby Tribe podcast and benefit from the information we provide. We'll be back next week with another episode, so be sure to tune in. Until then, take care of yourself and your tribe. Thanks for listening.